Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Thank you, Di. Uh, last week, uh, as most of you know, if you were here, we began a new sermon series uh, that actually started last year based on a book by R. Paul Stevens, Work Matters, Lessons from Scripture in which he explores the theology of work using various Bible characters, starting from Genesis and going all the way to Revelation. The subject of faith-work integration is a very important one. Uh, Well, for the simple fact that we spend a majority of our waking hours working. But it it is also important because a biblical worldview demands that we integrate the two. Faith and work matters, okay? Faith and work matters. Last week, we looked at vocational work. This morning, we're going to look at spirit-empowered work. What is it? What is spirit-empowered work, and what does it look like in our front lines? Just a quick recap of uh, last week's sermon. I made the point that vocational work is primarily responding to God who calls us to follow and serve Him irrespective of the work we do, whether it is paid employment or unpaid or unrecognized work, uh, voluntary work, such as caring for your parents, raising your children, your grandchildren, doing household chores. That's work too. Uh, volunteering uh, in, in uh, community centers, doing work there, and so on and so forth. This calling from God gives the work we, that we do meaning and purpose. For this reason, Paul in Colossians 3, verse 17, tells us to live out our vocation in relation to God and not in relation to our employer. Verse 17, chapter 3, Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But God does more than just call us to follow and serve him. He also empowers us to do this through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the evidence for this uh, is from uh, Acts 1.8, when Jesus instructed his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there until they receive the the gift that God has promised because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. See, without the infilling and, 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 uh, and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we cannot hope to be effective witnesses for him. This implication is huge for all of us. It is huge for all of us. It means that God wants to work in you and through you in your front lines. That God wants to work in you and through you in your front lines. For the advancing of his purpose and his shalom. This is reflected in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. McNeil says it well. Kingdom callings take us into schools, hospitals, businesses, and art studios, as well as homeless shelters, aid clinics, and battered women's homes. Kingdom callings are lived out as neighbors, 
friends, spouses, parents, employees and students, as well as community volunteers, school mentor, coaches, and yes, church workers. In other words, kingdom calling plays out in all of life because that's where life plays out. Kingdom callings play out in all of life because that's where life plays out. But we can't do this without the indwelling and infilling presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the theological basis for spirit-empowered work. Miroslav Volv writes, The Spirit is the giver of all life, and hence all work as an expression of human life draws its energy out of the fullness of the divine Spirit's energy. When human beings work, they work only because God's Spirit has given them power and talent to work. We work because God has given us power and talent to work. Without God's preserving and sustaining grace, no work that is of kingdom significance, that is of kingdom value, would be possible. In Exodus chapter 35, we see a great example of spirit-empowered work. Now, prior to Exodus chapter 35, two key events have just occurred. The first is God has just liberated the Israelites from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. And this is in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Israel's founding father. After establishing a binding covenant with the people of Israel, God gives them the law at Mount Sinai, which is like the code of conduct for his people. And that is the second event. And when we come to Exodus chapter 35, God commands and instructs Moses to build a meeting place. A meeting place where he could meet with the Israelites and for them to meet with him also and experience his presence. Called the tabernacle, it was originally a tent, as you can see in that slide, before it was replaced some 300 years later by a more permanent and grander structure built by King Solomon. Here's the account in Exodus chapter 35, reading from verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and other type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on an ephod, and breast pieces for the priest. All who are skilled... Among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent, its coverings, clasps, frames, cross bars, posts, and bases. The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand. So all its, uh, the lampstand is for light and its accessories. The lamps, the oil for the light, the altar for the incense with its poles, the anointing oil and fragrant incense, the curtain of the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles, and all its utensils, 
the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its post and bases, and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard. All very interesting stuff <laughs> uh, for the likes of me, because I am not a DIY person. I have no interest. But for those who are good with your hands, you know, this is all very interesting. But this is in God's holy word, all the stuff, Okay? The curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, the curtain for the, I think I've read that. The tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes. The woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary. Both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Verse 25, every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun. Blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. Verse 30, then Moses said to the Israelites, See, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Oholiab, son of, I don't know how you say it, Semek, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others as well, to mentor others with their skill set. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Amazing, isn't it? What is this passage doing in the scripture? You think that, that we're all into just holy stuff. Holy means worship. Holy means prayer. Holy means uh, doing religious work. But what we've read so far are work to do with the hands. And God has fill this character called Bezalel with his spirit in order to perform these tasks. That God's anointing is not just reserved for missionaries, it's not just reserved for pastors, it's not just reserved for ministers, it's not just reserved for those who are engaging in religious work. God filled Bezalel with his spirit as well. Equally, I might add, for all these menial tasks, these artistic a task to do with artistry and creativity. A carpenter, an artisan, a artist and teacher. Bezalel is the only person in the Old Testament of whom it is said he was filled with the Spirit of God. He's not only given work to do, but he's also empowered by the Spirit of God. All of us will do well to remember this. Although the empowering of God's Spirit was specifically given to design the tabernacle, it would be a mistake to think that this was, this was the only occasion God had anointed Bezalel because he was doing something significant for God. In other words, Bezalel was spirit-empowered prior to and after the construction of the tabernacle. Okay, that's the point, one of the big points I want to make. Bezalel was spirit-empowered before the construction of the tabernacle and after the construction of the tabernacle. And the Spirit of God then just fill him for this specific task only. 
And more significantly, his work was not any less important when he put his skills and abilities to use for things not related to the tabernacle. In other words, when a customer came and said, Bezalel, I want you to design an engagement ring for my wife. God's Spirit filled him for that task as well. Stevens rightly asserts, one dangerous yet widely spread belief today is that God gives his spirit to people in the form of spiritual gifts solely for ministry in the church. But spiritual gifts are intended for all the people of God so that they can enter into God's beautiful work of transforming creation, culture, and people, and we learn from this that the most significant way in which God's spiritual gifts are demonstrated in the world is through our work. And there's a story of a lady who sees very little of God in what she does. She, she says this of herself, I'm just a hairdresser. But once she began to see her work through the biblical lens, her whole perspective and approach to her work change. She now begins saying, I make beautiful, I make people beautiful, and I do a lot of counseling. Besides the physical work of, of doing people's hair. Say, what a change. What a different outlook on what she does. And as you know, counseling is a lot about listening empathically, not doing a lot of talking, and that's what hairdressers do. Ask one leading question and let the client talk. Back to Bezalel, there are four, at least four gifts of the Spirit that we're told he was given. Wisdom, which refers to practical intelligence and vision. The ability to see, design, and implement a vision. The second gift is understanding and knowledge, which has to do with clarity and problem solving. Skills is the third gift which means the possession of practical abilities. And lastly, the ability to teach others. To pass on the same skill set to others is something that God's Spirit gifted Bezalel and his cohorts with. In the New Testament, we also have many examples of Spirit-empowered work. The most classic example and obvious one is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 4, when he stood in the temple to announce to the public the commencement of his ministry, he uh, spoke and declared from Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And he lists off uh, uh, very specific tasks he's been given. I think it is a great habit for all of us to cultivate by personalizing Luke chapter 4 regularly before we head off to work, during and during work, wherever we are in our front lines. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to be a mother. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me because he's anointed upon me because he's anointed me to be a grandmother, to be a grandfather, to be a doctor, to be a plumber, to be a nurse, to be a computer technician, to be a health technician to be a teacher, to be an optometrist, and so on and so forth. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. In Acts, we see the various gifts of the Spirit on display. In Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're given three lists 
of spiritual gifts, which, by the way, was not intended by Paul to be exhaustive. So in other words, there are a lot more gifts of the Spirit beyond the list that we find in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. The pertinent question is, how can we know? How can we know what gifts God has given to us to use for His purpose and glory? I want to suggest uh, three things to help us with discerning the gifts of the Spirit. What gifts of the Spirit that He might have determined for us to have? Firstly, know that all gifts of the Spirit originate with God. They're all from God. Paul uh, says that the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 are given to serve the common good. It is to benefit everyone. It's not to benefit. Gifts are given not to benefit you. The gifts of the Spirit are not given for your own ego to feed on yourself. They're given for the common good of others. Furthermore, in verse 11, he says, all these are the work of one and of the same Spirit, and God distributes these gifts to each one just as he determines. God called Bezalel by name to glorify him through gifts, skills, and talents he determined for him. Every one of us, every one of us has gifts and talents to use for him, not just pastors and missionaries. And whatever they are, they are the work of one and the same Spirit. This means there are no inferior gifts. There are no inferior gifts. I want to make that point because once upon a time, I used to compare the gifts I have with others. And I go, oh, God, I, I would like that one because that seems good, better than mine. Mine is more behind the scene. That's more public, for instance. That is more glory attached. You see, we get into that. And we need to know that there is no such a thing as inferior gifts because they all come from God. How can we label any gifts that God gives us as inadequate or wrong or mistaken or inferior? Every gift is precious. Every gift has its use. Without this understanding, you may subconsciously be pursuing better gifts, superior gifts, attempt things you're not meant to and miss out on God's actual gifts for you. Number two, what activities are you good at? What activities are you drawn to? What activities do you engage in where you lose all sense of time, where you're energized by these activities? If you can identify them, the chances are you may have identified some of the gifts of the Spirit that God in His grace and love has determined that you should have. Making the assumption that it can't be God if we have passions and devotion towards certain things or certain causes is a flawed understanding of the Christian faith. At the very least, seek counsel about those, the answers to those questions that I asked earlier. Don't just dismiss them as, ah, oh, it's just me. I just like to do those things. It's probably nothing to do with God. It's not a spiritual gift. It's just me. I wouldn't worry about it. Explore them. Explore them. Have a conversation with someone who knows you and loves you, 
which leads to the third point. To discern if God has given you particular gifts, can others recognize them in you? Can others affirm them in you? Now, I have never considered ever myself having gifts befitting of a pastor, even though I was in that role and grew into it over time. And I'm talking about a period way before I step onto Windsor Road in 2008. Uh, to be honest with you, I was actually quite, not quite, very resistant to the idea that I was a pastor. I don't know why. I can't tell you why, but I just thought, I, don't call me a pastor. Don't identify me as a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I just don't like it. I can't tell you why. So it's funny that I'm doing the work of a pastor. Anyway, one day, maybe a year or two before I became an associate pastor at Windsor Road in 2008, I said to Sue, honey, that's what I call her. I never call her uh, Sue, just so you know. I'm not uh, embellishing my story. Honey, I think I may have pastoral gifts. You know what Sue did? I was very serious. She says, honey, I think I may have pastoral gifts. And Sue burst out laughing. She laughed her head off. She really laughed. And I laughed because when Sue laughs like that, it's quite hilarious to see. You know how uh, people, uh, you know, you talk and they laugh? And you're not laughing at the joke, but you're laughing at them for how hilarious their laugh is. So that's what I, I was laughing. She was laughing. But when everything settled, I may have said to her, gee, thanks a lot for that feedback. Some encouragement you are. But she assured me. She said, honey, it's not what you think it is. I laugh because it's like you saying, honey, I think I'm Chinese. That's what I'm laughing at. It's so obvious to me that you have pastoral gifts. I'm, I'm just laughing that you've not been able to see it until now. And so that, that you know, people, can people see those gifts in you? Can people affirm those gifts you're telling them about? If they're laughing in joy, well, then you know you've hit the jackpot. But if they're laughing in, you know, you, you think you have, I don't think you do. And that's also a good sign when they're laughing uh, in, in that context, right? So the moral of the story is whatever spiritual gifts God has blessed you with, others will be able to confirm it. Others will be able to see it, whether you have it or not. Now, once you discover your spiritual gifts, what they might be, or have a sense of what they might be, what do you do? I want to suggest four things, and they're found in the notes that I sent you attached to the news bulletin. Number one, step out and use your gift. Step out. You've got to step out and use those gifts that you think God might have determined that you should have. But seek God's wisdom as well at the same time on how to use those gifts, how to develop these gifts. Gifts, like anything, needs to be developed. They're not fully mature. They're not fully grown. It's like a fruit. It can take, gift like a fruit can take time to mature. Now, if you don't uh, learn to do this, if you don't seek wisdom, then it's very likely that you will misappropriate in the use of these gifts. And gifts in that context can do more harm than good. So seek counsel. Please get wisdom. Get wisdom. 
Uh, and if you don't get wisdom, you might also spook people out yeah, with your gifts. There's a time and place, there's a way in which you express those gifts. Number two, pray for opportunities to partner with God and what He's already doing in your front lines. Number three, intentionally welcome the presence of God into your front lines, as I said earlier. You can use Luke chapter 4. You know, at your workstation, before everyone else is there, just close your eyes and say, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me today. You have anointed me, blah, blah, blah. Name the task that you're doing and more. And that five minute can be a game changer. It just reorientates you to what you're actually doing. It reorientates you to the fact that God is there, that the Spirit of God has called you there. The Spirit of God wants to work in you and through you. And there are many other biblical references you can use. Just personalize it. And before, uh, what to do with your spiritual gifts once you discover what they might be. Adopt a, a servant posture. Remember Paul said, these gifts are given to bless they're given for the common good of others. They're not for your well-being. They're not given for your ego. Adopt a servant posture. See the gifts God has given you as tools to serve people with. Do it in humility. Do it. You're doing it to bring God's shalom in your front lines. Now, as you hear this, you might think, I don't see how this is going to play out in my front line. So let me share with you a following story, how, how spirit-empowered work looks like in a workplace, in, a, in your front line, whatever it is. But in our workplace, a front line that most of us find ourselves in. Tez has just received a promotion to a supervisory position in a call center. As a Christian, and like many of us, it was hard for her to picture how God would use her, how God could use her or would use her for his glory in her front line when the pressure to make deadlines and high staff turnover and a lack of flexibility are the order of the day. What would fruitfulness for God in her context look like? How would it happen? Well, she prayed. She intentionally prayed about her work situation. She said, look, God has placed me here. God has promoted me. I want to integrate my faith with the work that he has blessed me with. And so she prayed. And she felt to focus on two things, prayer and care. She would come in early for her shift and pray for each worker on her team that day by moving through the workstations. Right? She would physically perhaps go to a workstation and just stand there, pray, and then move to the next person. I pray for Bob as he's in this center handling phone calls. I pray for him, yada, yada, yada. She would also pray about the targets her, targets her team had been assigned, that they would be met in ways that, uh, in, in ways that, that honored God. And you see this, that, 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 that there was nothing random, nothing accidental about what she was doing. She was very intentional in involving God in her front line. When she commenced a new role, she held a meeting with her team and told them her desire to change the culture of their workplace. She didn't use religious language at all. Yeah, 
You say, well, God is telling me. None of that stuff, because that would be unwise and inappropriate. She just worded it and couched it in terms that her workers understood. She said, I want to change the culture of our workplace. She explained that she cared for each one of them and that the workplace was a safe place to share any troubles and hurts they may have, as well as their dreams and aspirations. She also wanted wanted the team to treat people that they call with the same care by listening to them carefully and speaking to them respectfully. Well, well, well. Two things happen almost immediately. And some of you could see way ahead and think, oh, that's not a good idea what she was doing. People started testing her by having longer conversations during work hours. All right, well, our boss told us, listen, spend time with the clients, really care for them. So that's what they did. Phone calls to customers went a lot longer. This means fewer calls were made, and this means that they were not able to meet their targets. Both outcomes adversely impacted productivity. Not surprisingly, Tessa's boss called her in for an explanation. And I bet some of you, as you listen to the story, you're thinking her strategies, while good and noble, they're warm and fuzzy and flawed, and therefore never work in that environment. The staff will take advantage of that, and things are not going to end well for Tess. You've just proven my point. A boss called her in for a dialogue. Anyone thought that? Yes, you did. Some of you did, anyways. Tess pleaded with the boss for more time. She increased her time in prayer for her workplace, set some boundaries, but she remained committed to her vision. Her team gradually began to see what, that she was sincere. Soon, relationships began going deeper. Staff turnover reduced. Productivity increased. Three months into a role, one of her staff, in an abusive relationship, approached and confided in her. Feeling a prompting by the Holy Spirit, Tez gently and respectfully asked if it was okay for her to pray with her. This woman has never prayed before, never mind having someone pray with her and for her. She said yes. Afterwards, this girl told Tez that she felt an amazing sense of peace come upon her. Later, another staff asked Tez to pray for her medical condition. By six months in, Tez had begun conducting a Bible study before shift, before the shift started. And productivity remained well above the target. It's possible. Spirit-empowered work is possible. But we need to be intentional in involving God in our front lines, right? Wherever it is. We're just talking about the workplace. That's all. As you're discipling your grandchildren, do you ever involve God? Judy, Tom, you spend a lot of time with your grandchildren, right? I say to you, before you head off, say, Lord, you have anointed us to be our grandchildren's grandparents. Give us, remind us that we have your anointing. Fill us afresh for this task, for this role. Lord, is there anything specific that you might want us to do with them today, this week? That changes everything. Rather than just, ah, where are you, what are you doing? Ah, we're just going to see our grandkids. We're going to be tested. It's going to be difficult. 
and we'll probably need a cup of coffee after. See? But by involving God, everything changes, does it not? Ed, you're in a high-powered job. There are targets to be met. Sounds ludicrous. It sounds like, how is it possible for me to be doing spirit and power work? I think I can only do spirit and power work in a church context by playing the drums. Outside of that, I don't see how. Because there work practices, you know, the ethical considerations to think about. Yes, all of that. Observe that. Honor that. But the Spirit of God can still work, can still make a difference through you. It's about being deliberate. It's about being intentional. And most importantly, it's about being prayerful. Say, Lord, I don't know how to make a difference in my, my workplace. There are all these restrictions, all these, you know, professional code of conduct that we need to observe and all that. How can I make a difference in my workplace? Well, you're facing a challenge no different from Tez, right? Tez has had huge challenges. How, how, do you, how do you do this? But she sought the Lord. And so what your context may look like will be different. It will certainly, whatever it looks like, it will be different from Tez. But the point being is that the Spirit of God has anointed you. So here's your application for this week. If you haven't started already, you haven't done so already, number one, take the spiritual gift test inventory assessment that I sent you. There are about 96 questions. Uh, it's very easy to do. Just follow the, the, uh, the instruction given. Uh, the document also in, includes definitions of each spiritual gift. Number two, talk with someone you, who knows you about these gifts. Can they confirm them? Can they affirm them in you? Number three, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for the gifts you have been given. Thank the Lord for the gifts he has determined that you should have by his grace. Remember, all gifts are from him. They're no better or lesser gifts. All gifts are precious, and all gifts are useful. And number four, follow the advice given earlier about what to do with your spiritual gifts. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you will take the scales off our eyes, the blinkers, remove, Lord, uh, these preconceived ideas that we have about what you can do in us and through us. Help us get rid of the sacred and secular distinctions that we make all the time. The Bible study is important. Praying is important. Singing songs of worship is important. But doing work with my hands, I don't need the Spirit of God for that. And I don't think God is all that interested with what I do with my hands. Lord, that is an example of a sacred secular distinction that just inhibits us in so many ways. Lord, I pray you will continue to, to, to plant the seed based on the message we've heard today, that God, you want to use us. Just as you fill Bazalel with the Spirit of God for creating designs and creating woodwork and embroidery and, 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 and all kinds of jewelry, Lord, each one of us has been anointed by you with certain skill sets that nobody can perform in this world but us. And more than that, you want us to be aware that these gifts can be used for your purpose and can be used for your glory. They're not just given randomly. That we haven't ended up with the gifts that we have because of our education, because our parents decided to, 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 to finance that particular degree that has granted us the skills and knowledge that we have. 
Lord, you have had a hand to play in that. And I pray, God, that we will connect with that. Connect with this notion that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, that you want to use us, that you have anointed us with certain skill set for your purpose and for your glory. That we work out our calling, that we use our gifts in relation to you and not primarily in relation to our employers or those who employ us. We do it to honor you. We do it to serve you. We do it with that prayer in mind, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I ask that this conviction will grow in us in Jesus' name. I ask that you help us discover the gifts that you have given us, the gifts that you have determined that we should have. I ask that you will help us acknowledge the gifts that we already know and possess to link it back to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.